Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 254, Mermaids, Magic, and Murder with Maggie Takuda Hall. Julia titles the episodes. And Julia, I think you've outdone yourself. I don't think you've ever had a title as good as this one. And we'll have to see what tops it. I'm extremely flattered by that. And I'm also extremely flattered that Maggie took the time to come on the show. She is an author that I kind of discovered during quarantine when I picked up her first book. And the fact that we get to talk to her now both about that book and her newest graphic novel is really, really exciting. Yes, we talked to her months ago. And I I had that thing that you see on the internet where uh, we were able to get a galley of the book. And I was like, I have never wanted to brag as much as I want to brag right now about reading this book. Because guys, it's so good. You're going to love it. The graphic novel is so good that we got the galley, but I also pre-ordered my own physical copy. That's how good this graphic novel is. 100%. And also so good, Julia. You know it's our new patrons, Allegra, Matt, Brittany, and Solo. Thank you all for joining us. We're so happy that you joined the ranks of our supporting producer-level patrons, Alicia, Allison, Brian, Deborah, Hannah, Jack Marie, Jane, Jessica Stewart, Nieselkins, Megan Moon, Phil Fresh, Captain Jonathan, Molokai, Cosmos, Sarah, Scott, Theo, and Zazie. And the legend-level patrons. Audra, Clara, Drew, J. Bay Bay, Key, Lexus, Mary, Morgan, Morgan H., Mother of Vikings, Sarah, and BME of Scotty. All fantastic people with a lot of magic and hopefully not murder in their lives, but we hope if you want to learn about murder you have in your life i don't know that got away from me well we we love spiritually hanging out with them as our beloved patrons and we look forward to hanging out with some of you next week for our live show julia i can't believe spooky season is here we're in the midst of it my powers are returning and we're gonna be having a live show that you can also watch after the fact bt dubs if you can't make it or you're in a different time zone october 27th at 8 p.m eastern and tickets are at spiritspodcast.com slash live you have to check it out i am debuting a new type of game (gasps) for us to talk about breaking news i didn't know that i love it and i think you guys are going to enjoy it it's got a great at least one of the segments has a great visual element that i think is worth (laughs) coming and getting tickets for solely for that segment so your ticket involves both you can come live or you can watch it later so you can rewatch it we try to make it you know as as valuable for you as possible and that ticket is at spiritspodcast.com slash live And Julia, as you are preparing for our live show, have you been reading or watching or listening to anything to like really get in the spooky mood? So Amanda, I went to a bookstore for the first time in a while the other day, mostly because we were stopping to get coffee and there was a Starbucks attached to it. But I stumbled into the new release section and I saw a title that immediately was like, oh, oh no, I have to read this immediately. And the title was The Final Girl Support Group by Grady Hendrix. Uh And... I have been thinking a lot because we've been watching a lot of horror movies lately for October and I've been thinking a lot about the final girl trope and oh my god does this book hit like all of my buttons in the best possible way. It's real Julia Bate that title. I'm so glad that you were enjoying it. Truly is. It's delightful and it might be a inspiration for a future Spirits episode. Who can say? Ooh. Well, you can find a link to that in the description and at spiritspodcast.com slash books as always. And finally, you know, if you out there, wonderful conspirator, have caught up on Spirits and you're reading our book recommendations and you're like, damn, I just wish there was another podcast from Multitude that I could catch up on. May I recommend our newest member show, The Newest Olympian. 
I know that Amanda and I, we kind of missed the boat when it came to the Percy Jackson series. I think we were a little bit too old when the series came out. But I have really been enjoying listening to our pal Mike Schubert read through the Percy Jackson books for the first time and like experience Greek mythology through a lens that isn't just spirits and also the game Hades on uh, various platforms. So whether you want to join and use this podcast like a book club to read the book along as well, or you have and you're interested or you're not and you just want to enjoy some entertainment, go to thenewestolympian.com or search The Newest Olympian in your podcast app. Comes out every Monday. New episodes. Woo! All right. Well, we are so excited to bring you this conversation with Maggie Takuda Hall. All the links that you're possibly going to need to all of her books are in the description. And without further ado, we hope you enjoy Spirits Podcast, episode 254, Mermaids, Magic, and Murder. We are so excited. A person whose books we have recommended for years. And finally, we get to talk to you. Maggie Takuda Hall, welcome to Spirits. Please let everybody know who you are and what you make. Hi, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, I'm Maggie Takuda Hall. I'm a children's and young adult book author. I'm the author of Also an Octopus, which is a picture book, The Mermaid, The Witch, and the Sea, which is a young adult novel, and the forthcoming graphic novel, Squad. Which I'm very, very excited about personally. I cannot wait for thank it. Thank you. I know. I'm like extreme <laughs> anticipation. <laughs> so I think we should start out with the question that we usually ask our guests on this show, which is what kind of stories did you grow up with? Like, what were the stories that got you into fantasy things like witches? and mermaids and werewolves. I mean, I think those are two different answers for me. I'm Japanese and Jewish, so I grew up with a lot of Japanese and Jewish stories <laughs> and our family stories, of course. And I wasn't actually super into fantasy at all as a little kid. I remember watching The Last Unicorn and being like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. But uh, when I was in middle school, we moved when I was in seventh grade, which is sort of brutal age to be a, a new kid at school. The literal worst year to move, yeah. I think. Um, yes. Other than my sister who had to move when she was a junior in high school. Oh, like, rude. Anyway, uh, <laughs> for obvious reasons, I didn't have a lot of friends yet. And so I would read in the library at lunch to kind of act like you know, I totally didn't mind that I didn't have friends. <laughs> I was just really busy doing this reading. And I started reading the Patricia Reed Enchanted Forest Chronicles. Ooh. And I read them all and like just back to back to back to back. And I like reread them and I loved them so much. And I think that's when I really started to love fantasy. That's incredible. I, I love that. I love that you tried to play it cool being like, yeah, I'm just going to read in the library. We are also nerds <laughs> who like to read in the library rather than make friends. So I appreciate it. <laughs> I was like, hey, teachers, anyone need errands run? Anyone need copies? Just literally anything to take me away from my peers would be fantastic. <laughs> it's it's so good that we stayed friends, Amanda, because otherwise we would have been just hot messes. No, it's very true. When two, uh, you know, weird and gay and lovely and like going to grow up to be cool mythology nerds can sit in silence together and read. That is honestly the ideal. And it's I'm glad bond. I found that in you, Julia. <laughs> So wait, have you guys known each other since you were in middle school? Since we were five. What? Yeah. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, companions from the cradle is what we call each other. That's amazing. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, we went to um, college in different cities. And then when we were both back in New York, that's when we started Spirits to you know get together regularly and talk about the things we like to talk about already, which is mythology and folklore. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of mythology and folklore. So I want to talk a little bit about The Mermaid, the Witch and the Sea, because uh, that was my introduction to your work. You might remember a tweet that I sent you that I got sunburned because I sat out in the sun and read the whole book in one day. Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, that was like my like first like nice moment of pandemic was just sitting down and Aww. reading your book out on like a blanket in the lawn and it was delightful. So in your novel, the sea is a deity and also like the physical embodiment of the sea. And I just I love that kind of aspect. And I talked about it on another show as well, just like from a world building perspective and from a mythology perspective. That's such a cool thing. So was there a particular mythological background that you kind of drew that idea from or was it something that you kind of combined a bunch of different things to make this new whole cloth yeah i mean there's plenty of cultures that worship like the sky the mountains the sea whatever um and i i find that interesting and compelling already but the way that the sea functions in the mermaid the witch in the sea is more based in california ecology I live in California, which just like goes ablaze for about two to three months every year now. It's just fire season. <laughs> we just know that's happening. And part of it is, well, mostly it's because of our horrible interventions at so many different stages that were made, a lot of them being ignoring the advice of indigenous people of how to tend for plants that are around here. Um, because California is meant to burn, like it's always been a fire climate. And that's why it didn't used to be a problem when there would be fires because all the plants around here knew how to burn. It was like this idea that they had some kind of memory. They knew how to do this correctly. And because of our intervention, they forgot and they forgot and they forgot and it became more and more dangerous for us. And that was how I thought about the sea and the mermaids, this idea of nature having proprietary memories that are externalized and becoming more volatile of force due to human greed and poor management and imperialism and the you know disregard of what indigenous people have had to say. And so it felt very in tune with the themes I was already thinking about when I wrote The Mermaid, The Witch, and the Sea. And I love the idea that the mermaids as the sea's children like hold her memories. <laughs> Not to quote you at you for a second because I, I like doing that on the show. But uh, for she is too old and too great to hold them all herself. When a new memory rises and demands to be held by the sea, a mermaid is born. And I just like, I cried a little bit at that. I think that's really beautiful. And I love the idea that you kind of drew from like the, the memory of plants and the ability for like this force of nature to hold memory. That's something I would have never expected to be the inspiration for that. And to find that out, it's very, very cool. So thank you for that. Oh, I'm glad. Also, I'm pretty sure every writer likes having their work quoted back at them. You're like, oh, me? You want to quote me? Oh, no, don't. Stop. <laughs> I feel like if I was a writer, I would be embarrassed. Be like, no, don't. I don't want to hear my own words at me. Don't say that. It's like both. It's like being told you're pretty. You know what I mean? You're like, no, yes. gross. Oh, I hate it. Tell me more. Stop more. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> say it again. No, I love that. Uh, there's also a, a great moment. I'm trying not to spoil too, too much about the book because obviously I want people to pick it up. But uh, there's a great moment where some of the sailors capture a mermaid, which is like rare. And usually they drain the mermaids of their blood in order to sell it as a drug, which you call the oblivion drink because it like brings beautiful visions, but also takes away memories. And I really like this idea that these sailors who are like greedy and want this like this resource aren't able to keep the mermaids alive but one of the main characters Evelyn is the one who figures out like oh you have to give in order to take mm -hmm. I really like that was that like a certain inspiration for that as well or was that kind of just like I want to show that this sweet sweet girl is very good and pure gosh yeah I think it's more the latter and less that mm -hmm. she's pure than that she's just willing to make a sacrifice 
Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't even occur to any of the men that they might have to give something (laughs) to make this work. Um, And because all the magic in this book kind of functions on sort of like a fucked up barter system. (laughs) Like if you're going to have power, you have to give something. So that was more where it came from. And what's funny, I've never had the question posed to me quite that way, which I'm so excited about. So thank you. The very first scene I wrote from this book is the scene where the mermaid comes on deck. And it was the moment from Florian's perspective, I was thinking about it, of what it would be like to fall in love with someone in that moment of kindness. And that was where the whole book kind of like came from. So it's so cool to be asked about that scene specifically. That's one of the only things that remains super close to the first draft that I ever wrote. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. I'm, I'm so glad I hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which I, I guess raises a question too. Obviously, across the world, there are mermaid myths. Was mm-hmm. there a particular mermaid myth that you were inspired by in creating your own mermaids? Or again, was this like something that you kind of combined a bunch of different ideas in order to make your mermaids? So I super purposefully did not do research about mermaids. Nice. Even though there are so many myths, and maybe because there are so many wonderful myths, I didn't want my mermaids to be identifiable to any one nationality or group or, you know, sort of storytelling tradition. And so I did my absolute best to create them whole cloth as best as I could. Because so much of fantasy comes from the British history of imperialism, it's really hard to escape certain trappings and tropes that are made by this sort of vicious and violent force in the world. And I was trying my best to acknowledge my own participation in these systems and privilege from them while also creating something that didn't pander to that, like didn't rely on those things as best as I could. And I think you did a great job because I do think your mermaids are very unique in a lot of, and I read a lot of fantasy, <laughs> in a lot of the fantasy that, I, that I've that i seen in the past. So Thank uh, you. congratulations on that. I really liked them. Thank you. Jeez. This episode of Spirits is sponsored by Skillshare. This is our longest running sponsor and one we enjoy very, very much. They are an online learning community that is offering all of you, by the way, a free trial of premium membership. And what does that get you? Access to so many fascinating classes, one that I made on podcast marketing. There are a lot more like photography, like design, animation, productivity, and one I took this week, both because I want to get better at it. And also the instructor, Helice, is so engaging, called Video for Instagram, Tell an Engaging story in less than a minute. It's very hard. And I am a podcaster these days. I am not making a ton of video. And so just to see, you know, an industry leader talk about how to do this, what jump cuts do, how to use slow motion for the greatest impact possible, how to use text and kind of all the tools available to you to be funny and engaging was really, really great. So you can sign up, get your creative journey moving forward without putting your life on hold at Skillshare.com spirits, where our listeners get a one month free trial of pre premium membership. That's one month free at Skillshare.com slash spirits. Amanda, fall is in the air and the perfect way to welcome the season, for me at least, besides scary movies and buying Halloween candy in bulk, is getting new shoes. Mm. And I just picked up a new pair of Rothy's loafers and my God, are they not comfortable? Are they not breathable? Are they not walkable? I love them so, so much. So they have stuff like cool flats, they have sneakers made for any adventure, and they have everything you need to start fall off on the right foot. And it's not just shoes for me, Amanda. I picked up a new pair of sneakers for Jake because now Rothy's also has men's shoes as well. Their men's line features the same level of craftsmanship as Rothy's 
women's line and they sell stuff like sneakers or driving loafers. I know that editor Eric also got an extremely cool pair of shoes that we helped him pick out when Rothy's was like, hey, we got men's shoes now. We're like, yes, awesome, Eric. And they're durable, they're washable, and they are better for the planet. And they are also rigorously tested for a perfect fit wash after wash. That's right, you can wash these shoes. It's wild. So to help you welcome the fall season in style, Rothy's is doing something special. That's right, they gave us the chance to share this super rare opportunity with our listeners for a limited time. Right now, you can get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com slash spirits. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S.com slash spirits. Head to rothys.com slash spirits and find your new favorites today. Julia, yesterday was a beautiful day here in New York City. It was chilly. It was breezy. The sun was shining. And I was like, my powers, they have returned. (laughs) I feel like a Pokemon that has fully evolved. And it's because I was able to wear leggings with pockets and a tunic, which is my absolute favorite outfit. Honestly, the dream. That's just the peak of comfort. And I imagine, Amanda, that those leggings in particular were very, very comfortable. They're very comfortable. They were squat proof in case I got really excited and was moved or I dropped my phone and I had to squat down. You don't want to be thinking about like how you're going to appear. You want to know that whatever you're doing, whether you are doing athletics, hanging out, going to a brewery, uh, chasing after a pet, that you're covered and you're comfortable. And that's why we love that Girlfriend Collective is a new sponsor. They make cute and comfortable bras, leggings, shorts, tanks, t-shirts, swimsuits, all kinds of things sizing from extra extra small to 6XL. Also, one of my favorite things about Girlfriend Collective is that they have a garment take back program called Re-Girlfriend. So once you're done loving your pieces, which you'll have them for a long time, they're not going anywhere. But once you are done with them, you can send them back to be upcycled into new Girlfriend gear. So you can join the collective today. And for listeners of the show, Girlfriend Collective is offering $25 off your purchase of $100 or more when you go to girlfriend.com spirits. That's $25 off 100 dollars or more when you go to girlfriend.com slash spirits girlfriend.com slash spirits that's their website it's just girlfriend.com amazing they know how to get domain names and they know how to make leggings that's that's all i gotta tell you it's impressive all right well now let's get back to the show kind of going back to what you mentioned about magic being a bartering system in your world uh you did this great job in explaining to the audience how your magic works through the kind of folk tales that Zenobia shares with Florian. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about the magic system that you chose for the book and kind of why you decided on this one in particular? Yeah, the magic system was so hard to create. If you ever sit down to write a fantasy novel, don't. (laughs) (laughs) Don't make rules. The hardest part of all of this was like, how the fuck does the magic work? Like, God damn it. Why did I do this to myself? You have to suddenly become an expert on like thermodynamics and physics and, you know, conservation of energy. I mean, the lines between science fiction and fantasy are like, I think, make believe in a ton of ways. And I think the invention of a magic system is like perfect examples of that because there are so many people who really do want magic to function like science. Mm hmm. Like, give me the rules. Tell me how this is going to work. And I'm like, but I just wanted them to have magic. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And so for the magic in this world, I came from like a couple different places in terms of the fact that it's, it's basically narrative magic. Like people make up stories about things and that's how they exert power in the world. And that largely came from writing this during and directly after the 2016 election. I had tried writing this book so many times before that. I had started years and years and years before that, but that was when I finally wrote an ending. (laughs) Yeah. And started kind of like being more clear about what the rules in this world were. And I 
watched Trump making these fucking specious, terrible claims that had nothing to do with reality about his own life and about the world. And it didn't matter that those things weren't true. They still held this incredible sway. I hate him with all of me, but you can't deny the fact that he had this incredible power in creating a fake story. And to me, that was like a kind of magic. It didn't make sense. It had no bearing in reality. It had nothing to do with science. And so I was like, okay, that's really interesting. And I had that in my mind. I also grew up Jewish. So the telling of stories and retelling of them and thinking about the different ways that they function is something that's very natural to me and something that I do all the time from so much childhood practice. And then when I really started thinking about the idea of like making stories and that being a type of magic, it came back to writing for young adults for me, which I feel like that dovetails so beautifully thematically in because teenagers are doing that work of figuring out how they're going to tell their own story for kind of the first time. That's really when you start having real autonomy in the way that you talk about yourself. You purposefully distance yourself from your parents. You do these things to kind of make that work. And that is no different than the process that nations go through, that religions go through, that you know any kind of organization goes through of creating their narrative around themselves. And I think that that is really complicated and magical work that I hope that teenagers would feel a kind of affinity for because they're in the midst of doing it. And so I hoped that it would feel like a reflection of their power to read it. Absolutely. When you moved with your family, did you tell any uh, lies or reframings <laughs> about yourself in your new school? I used to fantasize about that as someone who did not move as a kid. <laughs> you know, we moved and changed schools and stuff so many times that I was kind of accustomed to being the new kid. And I didn't do mm. the super creative thing of like acting like a brand new person every time. I would just always try to <laughs> act like I had been really cool without ever saying that. Smart. That's a great strategy. <laughs> and no one can fact check you. I'm here with you plebes now. But before, anyway, I don't even want to get into it. But <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to know about my mysterious past. Yeah, very. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I love it. So like I said, that was a beautiful explanation of how your magic works. And you do a really great job in telling those stories in the novel to kind of explain it. The stories that Zenobia tells about the first witch, were those inspired by anything in particular? Because they felt very like fairy tale-y to me. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's obviously like the background that I'm coming from. Yeah. So what were the stories? So there's like three or four different stories in it. The first one, the story of the creation of the first witch is one that I just made up mm -hmm. that's that didn't come from anywhere but it deals with some sort of like familiar fairy tale tropes that you mentioned like the idea of women becoming more powerful as they are ugly mm -hmm. <laughs> sure i guess that's actually kind of a subversion of the way that it usually works because usually it's like they are powerful and beautiful at the same time and as their beauty diminishes so does their power and i kind of wanted it to be the opposite she's powerful when she's ugly she's loved when she's beautiful and those are two different kinds of power mm -hmm. and then the one about the man who wishes for a wife is based on a vietnamese folktale that i learned about from a handout at a restaurant <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. I love that. My sister was living in Hanoi for like a couple years. And so I went to visit her twice. And one of the places that she took me was like this great restaurant. And with your menu, they would just like hand out folktales, like on little eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper. And this was one. And I was like, well, that's fun. So I, you know, altered it a bit so that it was more in tune with the world that this is set in because there were some details mm -hmm. where you're like, we can't talk about Vietnam, the nation. <laughs> 
<laughs> in this story. So that was neat. The The story about the mustard seeds is actually a Buddhist story, like very closely. Even the collection of mustard seeds particularly is, is from the Buddhist story. And the story about a mermaid being banished into the middle of a desert by a god throwing a mirror into it that creates the oasis that she lives in is the origin story for an oasis in Peru that now I just forgot the name of that I visited and they sell like tons of mermaid merch, but mostly you just go there to like rent shitty sand dune equipment and like get drunk. <laughs> That's sort of what you do. That sounds fun. I mean, it's not bad, but it's like if I was a mermaid, I would not enjoy living there. <laughs> yeah, you'd want your oasis to be a little bit more magical, I feel like. Or like clean. <laughs> I don't mind people coming and getting drunk. I do mind the sand, the sand dune stuff. Yeah. Okay. You can come. You can share my space. Put your feet in my water. All of this is gravy. But like the minute you start like throwing your beer cans in my oasis, you get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. Now we have a problem. Yeah. And it's not the people who are from there doing this, to be clear. It is tourists sure. show up, get wasted, and are just act fools. Mm-hmm. Now I want to open, Amanda, when we open our bookstore slash uh, like beer store eventually yeah. in our future. Yeah. Um, I want to hand out little folklore things on uh, little index cards to everyone who buys a beer. That sounds incredible. I love that. Could you imagine folklore zines? You should do it. That would be yes. the best. Yeah. We've had a couple of our listeners send us their own folklore zines and they've been incredible. So if you make those, please let us know. I will buy them. You don't have to send them to me. I will just buy them. It's fine. <laughs> we could also do like coasters with printing on both sides mm. with either there's like an addition. And so it, you know, drives repeat customers. If you have to like collect all five or something. There you go. But then your coasters are taken out of the bar every day. So we have to do the the cost benefit there. But I, I love that. Yeah. It's a good promotion though. Exactly. Exactly. So we we talked a little bit about Florian briefly before, mm-hmm. but Flora slash Florian's gender is a huge part of the book and for me, one of the most impactful parts of the book. So I would love if you could talk a little bit about the choice to kind of approach gender in the way that you did with Flora and kind of how it impacts the rest of the story, if you don't mind. Yeah, I don't mind at all. So like I was saying earlier, the idea of sort of Writing the story of who you are being the work that, you know, kids and teenagers are doing is something that Floria, Florian is in the middle of doing throughout the course of this story. The work that they do on themselves is just as pivotal for every plot point as the work that, you know, Zenobia does to train them to be a witch that Evelyn does around herself to kind of empower herself. And I think my ideas for the way that Florian feels about themselves come from a lot of different places. I am a huge fan of girls dressed up as boys in fantasy stories. Like that's like always my favorite thing. I did want to complicate it. Like I didn't want it to just be a question of passing, which I think is actually not that interesting of a question. Mm -hmm. It's fun. It adds like a lot of fun tension and it can be like sexy fun. Mm -hmm. So in no way is that meant to be shady toward books that have that. But I wanted to get it kind of like root questions about the way that gender functions as something that is surveilled and punished. And so the reason Florian sort of becomes a boy, is treated as a boy, is raised as a boy among these pirates, is in part for his own safety, but also is Rake's way of basically communicating to the other pirates that he's demanding respect for this child. And it's like, well, you can't be a girl, so you're just going to be a boy. That's how it is. And the idea of being a boy to be safe, I think, is... You know, I I thought a lot about the guys who I grew up with and the way that toxic masculinity played out among them and how different they were when they were with each other versus when they were just with me 
versus how they were with their girlfriend or whatever it was, you know, in the way that they would become more violent, more aggressive, more confrontational when they were all together mm. um, as a way of sort of proving their manhood. So Florian reflects a lot of that. But, you know, she also reflects a lot of feelings I've had about my own gender as I go through life and my feelings change wildly from context to context and from period of life, you know, to period of life. And so I wanted to have a character who reflected the fact that gender isn't a question you necessarily know the answer to all the time and that she would end being gender fluid as opposed to like straight up Mm non-binary. Sometimes it's easier to use they, them pronouns for Flora Florian because switching back and forth between he and she in conversation can be disorienting for people, which is kind of part of it. It is disorienting. It's difficult. And I think when you come to that side of it and realizing, you know, both of these things are true, neither of them are the whole truth. I just wanted to have a more complicated version, I guess, that better reflected how I feel and also how I see these questions being played out among my friends and people I'm around. It's not always just like a clean, aha, I understand now (laughs) moment. Yep. Yeah. No, I I feel that uh, very much. (laughs) Yeah. I I will also say I saw the title of the book and I was like, oh, yeah, those are all things that I like. And then someone wrote a blurb. It was like uh, gender fluid pirates. I'm like, oh, God, pre-order. Where's the (laughs) pre-order right now? (laughs) It is so exciting because in sort of like gender and sexuality discourses, often your exploration of your gender starts from a place of discomfort, you know, of crisis and you can also get to a place where you revel in gender expression and your gender in particular and find it so delightful. And like trans joy is a thing that like I fill my Instagram with because it is so fantastic. And that does not only include like, let's get away from gender. Let's choose a third distinct gender. It can be all these things suit me right now. One suits me today. One suits me tomorrow. That's going to be different six months from now or 20 years from now. And I just I love seeing that complication in your book. Thank you. It is really nice that you do get that moment of kind of like gender euphoria for Flora Florian and yes. uh, that that yeah. scene, you know, I, again, I shed a, I shed a tear. <laughs> oh, thank <laughs> very... you. Among the best of compliments to give a writer. Yeah, I wanted Florian to have that moment of empowerment of like knowing who you are and being like that, be, feeling confident in that feeling of duality and feeling these different ways is the magic that empowers them, right? Like that's what enables Florian to do what Florian does. The most powerful feedback I've gotten from the book are kids who say that they've come out as non-binary or as gender fluid after reading this. And I was like, I wept um, every time. (laughs) It's like, yes, fuck yes, because you're so much more powerful when you are who you are and you feel like you have that freedom to just be your most authentic self. And so that was beyond even what my hopes for the book were, because I don't dream that big. I was just like, please let anyone read it. (laughs) But that is like my, my dearest and most vulnerable hope for the book is that kids would read it and feel like they also had that kind of power over their own narrative and that that kind of magic is so powerful. Yeah. I experienced that too after coming out in reading people's advice and support and all that kind of thing. Realizing that, you know, people fear things that have power over them and, and you know, it doesn't excuse or make homophobia and transphobia any less of an urgent matter and a very like real lived experience for people every day. But it's also true that that 
reflects power. And at least for me, you know, much of the time being a queer is a thing I would never give up. I feel so lucky. You know, I'm so glad that this is, you know, part of my life and identity because it is like the most powerful thing to look at traditions that other people don't question or feel really hemmed in by and be like, no, man, like us over here, (laughs) we question everything. We complicate everything. We queer everything. You know, like it is it is all up for discussion and debate and figuring out what best suits you in society. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about your new upcoming graphic novel, Squad. I'm very excited about this. Oh, man. Me too. It's the book of my secret ugly heart. (laughs) Uh, I saw that tweet. It was like werewolves, tampons, parties, murder, betrayal, an acknowledgement of the sapphic history of all girls schools. I'm like, okay, Maggie, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's hard for me to talk about because I am genuinely so excited because it's such like a personal book to me in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I like desperately want people to like it. But it is set in the town where I grew up, which is a suburb of Oakland, basically, except for that it's its own city because a bunch of white people in the early 1900s were like, we don't want to be part of Oakland. So they made this city called Piedmont. And that's where I went to high school. Not exactly where I grew up the whole time, but that's where I went to high school. And it's like this very rigid upper middle class bastion of conformity within the Bay Area, which is like famous for being (laughs) nonconformist. The pressures that we put on girls there is just incredible. The amount of girls, I think it was six different women when I was in high school got hospitalized for bulimia or anorexia. Wow. So that's the kind of place that, you know, it's set. And it's about a new girl who moves to that place when she's a junior in high school, much as my sister had to. And she's never fit in before. And when she shows up, the most popular group of girls in that school just sort of like whisk her up into their group. And she's just like dizzy with the joy of being included. Uh, Except for that it turns out that that group of girls are werewolves and they turn into werewolves at every full moon and they go to parties and find the worst boy that they can and eat him. Yeah. Uh, And of course, things go not quite the way that they would plan, but I had so much fun writing it. I think it's so different from The Mermaid, The Witch, and The Sea. Uh, It's a lot more jokey and like crude and crass the entire time, but I do feel like that's closer to my my actual personality. (laughs) I feel like The Mermaid, The Witch, and The Sea was like a philosophical book that I wrote with like a lot of questions in mind. And Squad is the book that I wrote from like an an extremely emotional place trying to deal with the rape culture I was raised with and the sexual assault that, you know, I went through from being in that kind of place. So, you know, it's werewolves. It's about rape culture. (laughs) It's never going to sound funny, but I hope you think it is. Yeah. In this book. <laughs> I think it is going to be incredibly funny. I'm very excited. Yes, I'm very excited <laughs> to pick it up. I, I'm curious um, why werewolves. Yeah. I, I know that like werewolves, classic monster or classic like, you know, mythological figure, you know, usually yeah. compared to like vampires or something like that. But I'm curious why you picked you like lady werewolves, teen werewolves. Let's go. First of all, werewolves are great. And I love them. And I love collecting werewolf stories because there's like, just like there are vampire stories from all over the world, there are like different were animal types from all over the world, which is cool. Mm -hmm. But what I like is that they are monsters created by trauma. So you get bitten by one. Very bad day for you. Maybe you Mm -hmm. almost die. Mm -hmm. Lots of people do die. You, for some reason, make it, but you don't make it unscathed. And so you become this monster. And that felt to me the truest way to represent some of the anger that I felt growing up within this sort of like strictly patriarchal boy loving girl hating culture. And it was also how I felt 
in the wake of sexual assault where it's like this thing happened to me and now I feel like something's wrong with me. Like now I have this terrible anxiety or I get vertigo when I have to go to the gym and there's too many men there or like whatever it is and how angry that made me. And I feel like that's one of the things that werewolves also represent really well is incredible anger, this uncontrollable hunger and anger and that being something dangerous. And so I liked the idea of this group of girls who are forced to be perfect at everything and feel like they're fucking nailing it. Like they're like, yeah, I can do that. I can be all the things you're asking for, but have to sort of exercise this monstrous side of that somewhere. And so the idea of like this intense pressure also being a trauma that creates monsters was one that I really liked and one that made me laugh. Like there's just nothing not funny about beautiful girls becoming dogs. (laughs) I love it. I love when the like sexually, you know, mysterious, attractive whatever the way that we pin really gross sex feelings on teenage girls butts up against just the vile and the violent and the grotesque is like my sweet space of feeling at home <laughs> i am uh, re-watching gossip girl right now which i have to tell you absolutely stands up at least season one it's like it is a perfect example of what it is And exactly what you're saying, Maggie, of like people who choose the systems that they navigate and do them really well Mm -hmm. or like learn to adapt really well in a space that they don't necessarily want to be in but are. And then they do like next level Bond villain style like social heists. Yeah. Is just a thing that it seems like made for me. And and it's just like it feels like you need that outlet somehow. And seeing such a literal example of it, it's fantastical, but like a, a thing that you can point to and say like this is inside me all along. Yeah. I don't let it out or I can't let it out or you don't get to see it but it's here and it's another power that I wield is just like Mwah. yeah imagine Gossip Girl but with werewolves like yes. that's what I want I'm sweating I'm, I want to read this book so much <laughs> <laughs> Well, I had so much fucking fun writing it and also trying to make my own werewolf myths was difficult and different because there are there's like certain things that we all agree on. Like they come out at the full moon. They're dangerous. (laughs) Here's where the agreements stop. (laughs) (laughs) Did you approach this in a similar way to the mermaids in Mermaid, the Witch in the Sea in the fact that like you didn't do much research going into it or did you do a bunch of research and then you're like, I want that and that and that and that. I did not do a ton of research for this. Because it is the book of my secret ugly heart, I had the werewolves function how I needed them to function. Exactly. (laughs) So I wrote them from like, again, an emotional place where this is how that magic needs to work in order for this story to function. So that's how the magic works. Because I said so and I can do whatever I want. Hell yeah. Exactly. I don't even know how to characterize it, but like that, I, I picture a little like a little nest of worms inside me that's just like it it is like broiling and it knows what it wants and I don't want to let them out. Like that is that is so often the thing that you say or you make or you put out in the world and people are like, fuck yeah, dude, I see you right there. My worm recognizes your worm and like <laughs> we are absolutely here together allowing agriculture to happen with our transformation of soil. I'm really getting deep into agriculture here, but I, I just think that that impulse and that feeling and that like, oh, this is very close to me. I don't know. That is the kind of thing that I love the most. I've been thinking about it as my magpie heart lately. Oh, it's like, ooh, that's the shiny <laughs> thing that I want. And you also have that shiny thing that you want. So, yeah. Oh, I have a much cruder thing for it, which is it's like showing someone your dirty underpants. Like that's <laughs> yeah. how it feels when you put a book out. I haven't had to do it quite yet with Squad because it like it hasn't gone to the public or it doesn't even have arcs yet, etc. Mm-hmm. But I remember feeling that way with The Mermaid, The Witch in the Sea, which was... It was like, oh, do you want to see my intellectual dirty underpants? Like, that's very much how it felt. And with this one, it's like, do you want to see 
my messiest dirty underpants. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Sorry about that. <laughs> Amazing. No, I love it. I super love it. You also got to work with uh, Lisa Sterl, who has designed yes. my favorite. I Like, honestly, I have a bunch of tarot decks. I think she has my favorite at this point. Like, it's fucking the, the cool. Modern Witch is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> how was that process? Did you like, I don't know how graphic novels work for the totally. publishing industry. Do you reach out to the artist that you want to work with? Does your like agent put people together? Like, is that, it, tell me how that works. So... I went the traditional book publishing route. Comics publishing Mm -hmm. is its own entire thing that I cannot speak to because that's not what I did. So I wrote the script for Squad. My agent sold it to HarperCollins, uh, to the Green Willow imprint there. And then the editor who bought the rights to it found Lisa and hired her. I wrote the script. Lisa took a look at it. She had like a couple of things where she's like, what do you think about this kind of change? And I was like, yes, this sounds great. And so there were like a couple (laughs) little edits that happened, but mostly, you know, I wrote my text, sent it off to her. She drew the illustrations, sent it back to me, and we would kind of like check and make, you know, little changes as things were necessary. And it's way more fucking fun than working on a novel, I'll be honest, because there's like (laughs) someone else involved. So you're not just like sitting alone in your room with your hand in your pants being like, does this make sense? Like, Someone else is there, which as a very social person, I really enjoyed. I think it's even more that way if you write traditional comics because you do reach out, I think, on your own and work with an artist. And there's a lot more development of ideas together as opposed to this sort of like puzzle pieces fitting together thing that Lisa and I got to do. But her illustrations fucking whip ass they are so good i'm so excited i'm such a color nerd i studied art when i was in college and i'm very bad at it but i still appreciate good art when i see it and one of the things that i love that she did throughout it is that the colors change the whole palette sort of matches the mood of the story cool and so there's this like beautiful progression in through palettes that is like its own secret language of the story that i like just geek out for so hard and love so much and i hope other people feel that kind of like nummy art feels that you get in your stomach when you look at something you're like yeah that's fucking made well that's what lisa did there (laughs) (laughs) no i love that i love that you like get to write something and then you get to see it physically like emerge in front of you and like see the images that you had in your head all of a sudden on page that sounds incredible i want to do that now (laughs) it's amazing it's the fucking best every time i've gotten to work with an illustrator is just like magic and so cool so anyway if you have any illustrators in your life like give them a hug they're doing, they're doing the work. Doing the Lord's work. Yeah. It is pretty magical when somebody like puts on paper a thing that I just imperfectly expressed with like my my flesh form that like I, I can't give them a USB from my brain, you know, right into theirs. But when, when they get it, I'm just like, holy shit. Like, yes, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few. It's funny with illustrations. I feel like it goes both ways where like it's so magic when you look at something, you're like, that's exactly the way I imagined it. Like, oh, my God. Did you get a USB from my brain? Like, perfect. (laughs) And then there are the ones where you look at it and you're like, that is so much better than anything I could have possibly imagined. Oh, yeah. And both are like these beautiful, magical moments that make me so grateful for these professional illustrators who are just so wildly talented. I I genuinely don't understand how their, their brains work. No, it's it's incredible. And like, I'll be honest, I saw separate tweets from both you and Lisa. And it like took my brain like a minute to kind of put it together. Be like, oh, no, they're they're working on something together. Oh, no, it's gonna be so good. I don't know anything about it, but it's gonna be great. 
So that was, uh, I'm sure our audience will also share that excitement once they pick up the book. Oh, I hope so. I don't doubt it. I feel like it is perfectly up just our, our listeners alley because it's got like creepiness. It's got coolness. It's got teens. It's got werewolves. Mm-hmm. There's murder and, you know, it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. People are going to love it. Mm-hmm. And when this episode comes out, Squad will be available that people can get it in bookstores. Yes. We're recording this in April. And I hope that this is... Hmm. I don't want to be rude and say I hope this is the most fun interview you have about this book, but I hope that at the end of your press cycle, you look back and you're like, that was one of the good ones. (laughs) I'm sure I will. (laughs) Can you tell people where they can find you and your work on the internet, please? Yeah, you can catch up with all my work on my website, prettyokmaggie.com. You can follow me on Twitter. That's where I hang out an embarrassing amount of the time, at E-M-T-E-E-H-A-L-L. And my books, also an octopus, The Mermaid, The Witch, and the Sea, and Squad can be purchased from any independent bookstore near you. Yep. And we'll have a link to all of those in our uh, bookshop.org website. Yeah. (laughs) Hooray. Well, thank you again, Maggie. I can't wait to read Squad. And everybody, remember, stay creepy, stay cool. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us in your urban legends and your advice from folklore questions at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast, for all kinds of behind-the-scenes goodies. Just a dollar gets you access to audio extras with so much more, like recipe cards, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic, for every single episode, director's commentaries, real physical gifts, and more. We are a founding member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. Above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please text one friend about us. That's the very best way to help keep us growing. Thanks for listening to Spirits. We'll see you next week. Bye.